This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. I, of course, am your host, David Dole, and coming up on today's show, the relaunch of a historic newspaper, but as an online multimedia venture. I talk with writer and podcaster Benjamin Dixon about his involvement in that, as well as his thoughts on the stolen election in his state of Georgia. And uh, later on, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Who is she and what is she doing that's making the Democratic elites in Washington freak out? All that and more coming up on The David Dole Show. But first, what the hell is Doug Ford doing? Hidden in the Doug Ford government's economic update were a number of measures that I don't think when given the facts, most people will be happy about. So joining me by phone to discuss this is political activist and contributor to Rabble.ca, Brent Patterson. Brent, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So your uh, latest piece is titled, Ford Government's Economic Statement is a Plan for uh, Rich People. So Mm -hmm. what sort of stood out to you as maybe the most (laughs) egregious for the rich economic measure that the Ford government has made here? Well, really, you know, the big thing when we look at the uh, freeze on the minimum wage and what that means for minimum wage workers across the province. So um, had had the minimum wage been increased to $15 an hour, as had been, um, you know, the plan, uh, it would have put about $1.4 billion in the hands of minimum wage workers. That's That's a that you know goes back into the economy, benefits the economy. Uh, that's now lost, and what uh, the Ford government is doing is playing a, a shell game by saying they'll uh, cut uh, cut taxes uh, for uh, for those earning minimum wage. Uh, but that's um, rather than the 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 1.4 billion dollars in in wages they would have received. They basically get a $495 million tax cut, or put more uh, 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 specifically, an individual would have made $1,900 a year if the minimum wage had gone up, but with this tax cut, they would only get up to about $850 in a tax cut. So that's that's not a good deal for uh, mm-hmm. for the work workers. Yeah, and also uh, something about the minimum wage as well. Whenever the wages are, are raised, it has this this trickle up effect where if you make anywhere near the minimum wage, your raise is also or yeah, your wage is also raised. And I think I feel like that sort of gets lost in this entire discussion is that not only would people making the current minimum wage see an increase, but also if you're around that, maybe you're making sixteen, seventeen, eighteen an hour, you would have also seen uh, your wages raised there. Yeah, no, that's uh, absolutely true. I mean, the other part of this too is that well. This sort of this mini budget, it's sort of like a reverse Robin Hood budget in a way. It takes money from the poor and gives it to the rich. That's basically uh, what happened here. So at the same time, all this money is being uh, taken away from uh, minimum wage uh, earners. There's uh, these new tax cuts for the for the rich. So uh, the the Ford mini budget cancels the surtax and some of the highest income earners in the province that comes to a, a cost of $275 million, also uh, cancels a measure that would have stopped wealthy people from incorporating to get a, pa- um, a better tax rate. So that's $160 million. So that's uh, that's money that, that's costing the public uh, 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 money. That's 
money that stays with the wealthy, we know that's usually either offshored or goes into a bank account or into luxury goods or whatever. It usually doesn't stimulate the economy when you increase the minimum wage, uh, that is money that stimulates the economy because people are buying the necessities of life, groceries, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and so on. So it's again, it 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 hurts the poor, benefits the rich. It actually hurts all of us uh, because it it doesn't do what it should uh, for the economy. Yeah, and something I, I've really noticed with this Doug Ford government that. To me, it's very similar to uh, Trump in, in a way, is that this sort of inundates you with just oh, like a number of different uh, policies all at once. And it's just it's kind of hard to keep track of, all, track of it all because there's so much happening at the same time. So, I mean, you mentioned three of them there. They also scrapped rent control. And it's like yeah. any one of these items would have been huge news by themselves. But by them doing it all at once, it sort of gets uh, it, each of these items get lost among the, the whole mess. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. It's sort of a blitzkrieg kind of uh, approach where a lot is thrown uh, at us. Um, I, I mean, also, I mean, there's something like nearly a billion dollars in cuts coming for uh, from children, youth, and social assistance. And we'll see uh, some details on social assistance reforms, or air quote around uh, reforms, uh, coming in a in a few days. But that's another massive. Uh, hit uh, amongst everything, uh, everything else, and we know when the PCs talk about social assistance reforms, that's that's further uh, uh, bad news. So there's there's definitely a lot here for us to uh, to deal with, and and a lot uh, that I would suggest that we're going to need to uh, to be mobilizing against, because because I'm I'm sure there's more around the the corner. The the PCs have been pretty clear that uh, that this is really just the beginning. Mm-hmm. That there's a fourteen and a half billion dollar deficit, but that that uh, you know that they're going to address. They're they're saying difficult decisions uh, are coming. The road ahead's not an easy one. That's what they're saying. And and again, I think we know uh, you know it, that means for us, it's not going to be uh, 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 <laughs> the difficult decisions are going to be against us. So yeah, which is so, it's so, it's really disgusting to me because they're like, so yeah, it, it's going to be a, a difficult road ahead. Except, why are the poor and the middle class taking the, all the hits and then here they are, you know, cutting taxes for those, of the, for, for those that are the wealthiest. And they're also reinstituting the, uh, the cash for access fundraising, yeah. again, benefiting the wealthy. I mean, my, my problem here is not even just the, what these policies do, but also how they sort of, they market it. So they mask all of this by giving their, their you know, their diehard supporters, uh, what, a buck of beer and yeah. LCBO hours <laughs> extended from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. Like that's supposed to, I mean, it's, it's, it really, it's, it's bothersome because what this means is they are, they are fully aware that their base does not pay attention. So they can kind of throw out these things like, yeah, buck of beer, oh, LCBO hours are extended, oh, beer tax is cut. And use that as the as the distraction because they know that a lot of people are not going to look at the details. So what do you what do you just think about the the Doug Ford strategy here and maybe how the media can properly combat this? Yeah, no, I th- I think you're absolutely right. It's a classic distraction uh, technique in terms of you know generally what will grab attention or what will make the headlines. It's 
uh, yeah, yeah, cheap beer and longer hours uh, at the LCBO, that kind of thing. And it does take some digging to see really in terms of what freezing the minimum wage means uh, uh, and if and if one doesn't critically look at the numbers in terms of, you know, the so-called tax cut for um, for lower income uh, uh, earners, that it doesn't come anywhere near uh, matching what's lost uh, as a result of, of freezing the minimum wage. Um, yeah, one can be left with uh, either confused or with the wrong uh, uh, impression. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's the the job of of all of us, or certainly for social activists, to be putting some critical information out there and and presenting the numbers in in a clear and understandable way, so people will have a fuller sense of what's going on. And certainly for uh, for the mainstream media to be uh, you know looking behind the. Uh, the spin of the provincial government and and really critically looking at what what they're doing and not just repeating uh, what's in the four government's media releases. Yeah, and I see that a lot. Like for example, the uh, the minimum wage uh, freezing at, at fourteen bucks an hour. The reason Doug Ford uh, Doug Ford's reasoning for that is that there were massive job losses all across Ontario. When in reality, there were there was massive un or massive uh, growth. And actually, mm-hmm. in July, I believe we hit our, our lowest unemployment rate. And this is six months after raising the minimum wage to 14 bucks an hour. So yeah. not only are we trying to, you know, um, give uh, the facts here on, on what the right way forward is for our province, but also we have to battle this misinformation that's coming from our government. Yep, absolutely. And and any number of studies will, will tell you that an increase in the minimum wage is you know it raises all boats so to speak it it benefits the economy the money is is put back into the economy unlike tax cuts for the for the rich and so there is there is a sort of an insidious spin to uh to, that the Ford government uh does and and really we need to cut uh, through that and you know eventually uh, that does that does happen you know it it takes some time but that that does happen for the broader public. I think our effort needs to be to, to, to speed that up, though, before too much damage is done. Yep. Now, uh, one last policy here I want to highlight that I think might bite them in the future, and that's uh, increasing the threshold to maintain official party status from eight seats to 12 seats. What are your, your thoughts on that? And is this just an attempt to wipe out the Liberals, or might this actually potentially turn, o- turn around on them in the future? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. It, I mean, it's 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 a it, it's a bit of a spiteful uh, 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 move, and uh, and I, you know, one that doesn't benefit um, uh, uh, broader participation in 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 democracy uh, as as it should. So, uh, you know, it's it's problematic uh, in, in that case. But as we've seen. Certainly, historically speaking, the these sort of right-wing parties or right-wing populist parties, you know, at at some point do do implode or do collapse when the electorate has had uh, uh, enough of them and have seen through uh, seen through the their spin. So certainly, further down the road, it may be something that they they regret. But I I think they're being rather 
uh, prideful now, I suppose, or mm-hmm. or or just sort of misdirected, and and uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. So uh, wrapping up here, is there anything do you think people at home can do to sort of get involved and maybe voice their displeasure with this Ford government? Yeah, I, you know, I, I would say look in your community, uh, you know, whether that's Toronto or anywhere around the, the province uh, for, you know, any social activist group that's starting to, uh, uh, you know, raise, uh, raise concerns about this. Call your uh, member of the provincial parliament, write a letter to the, uh, to the uh, local newspaper. But I think really the thing is get engaged. We know um, a full budget. Uh, from from the government is expected uh, early in 2019. I think we can expect further and deeper uh, cuts from them. I think we can see more of the uh, same where there's benefits or or uh, you know it's favorable towards the 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 the, the wealthy and the rich, and it, it's the it's done on the backs of the the poor and the middle class, and and so. The more that we can mobilize now, the more that we can organize now and, and shed some light on this economic statement, the, the better place we'll be in um, early next year when this full budget comes out. Yep, agreed. Brent Patterson is a political activist and contributor to Rabble.ca. Brent, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Coming up next, I'm not done with this Ford government. I want to get your thoughts on whether the wealthy should get greater access to our politicians, which, yes, is something Doug Ford is doing. I'm taking your calls at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. The David Dole Show continues on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to The David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio and News Talk 1010. Now, Doug Ford is reopening the door to cash for access fundraising. Did you even see this? This was barely covered by our media, and maybe because a lot of them are part of these elite circles. So hidden in the Progressive Conservative Party's economic update was cash for access fundraisers are back. So those $250 a plate, $1,000 a plate fundraisers, pay that money, get in, have your uh, face-to-face time with your favorite MPP, of course, if you can afford it. Uh, Most of us can't. But again, as I've said many times, this Doug Ford government is not for the people. They are for the rich people. So... Do you think Doug Ford reopening cash for access impacts our democracy? Should politicians be allowed to solicit large donations and meet one-on-one with their big donors? Is this a for-the-people policy? Call me at 416-872-1010, and you can also text me at 71010. We have uh, Kathy on the line. Kathy, what are your thoughts? Oh, good evening. Uh, Now that you've mentioned, I just tuned in... uh about a minute ago, two minutes ago, uh, cash for access. Um, yeah, you know, um, I have three comments. One is Doug Ford uh, has been, uh, his team has been um, emailing me to donate money for his uh, campaign back in June. Mm-hmm. I have not, uh, I even got a phone call. 
um, from somebody, one of his constituents, I don't know who she was, ask, begging for money, anything, any money. And uh, I just said, sorry, I'm uh, lower than middle class. The second comment I want to make is that uh, uh, diminuing um, the, the or, or obfuscating of the uh, this uh, uh, minimum wage yes uh, is it's it's going to deteriorate our economy because if you if you um, lessen a minimum wage person's um, income it does not help the economy because a person will feel who, who is in the minimum wage bracket they're going to feel limited. They have to pay rent. They can't even afford a car, uh, not even a bus pass, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, the third comment I wanted to make was I was really disturbed by the fact that I heard on the news that he is going to not cap um, apartment building owners' new new buildings. Yep. That's for right. apartment buildings, he's not the going rent to control. Cap. Yep. Yes, there's no rent control for mm-hmm. new buildings. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I mean, this we're living in a a, a a province that has doesn't even have enough apartment buildings alone, let alone um, uh, affordable housing. There so, aren't even a, apartment buildings being built. All there are are condominiums. Yep, that's right. So. Um, what about the? There is no middle class left. Mm-hmm. And yet, the, his policies I'm, are directly negatively impacting people like you. And uh, yet, uh, how do you feel about him running on a platform of uh, his slogan for the people? Yet he's making uh, moves like this, where he's freezing the minimum wage, getting rid of rent control. Like, wh- what are your thoughts no. of of how he's trying to essentially he's, swindle people? No, he's not. I'm seeing it now. He's not for the people. That's what I'm. I'm feeling now. I'm, and that's why I kept getting emails from his team. Oh, could you please donate three dollars, two dollars, whatever you can give, please. And I'm like, hello, uh, you campaigned for yourself. Why do I have to pay for you? Mm-hmm. And now you're going to dismiss us, the people who may or may have not voted for you. And now you're going to to occlude us. Yep. And now he's opening those the cash for access fundraisers. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much for for calling. So Kathy is one example of many of us here in in Ontario where we are being directly impacted by these policies that are supposedly for the people. <laughs> but what has he actually done for the people? He's what increased the LCBO hours nine to eleven now. Oh, thank you so much, Doug Ford. He has, uh, what, gotten rid of a beer tax? Oh, awesome. He has had, uh, what, buck a beer? Well, why, why are all his policies for the people about alcohol? It seems like he wants to get his, uh, the voters drunk so they don't realize what's actually going on. So, as I said at the top of the segment, he is, he is reopening the door to cash for access fundraising. Meaning that if you are a wealthy donor... You can afford to give Doug Ford a thousand dollars. You can go to one of these cash for access fundraisers, give your thousand bucks at the door, and get to meet face to face with your favorite MPPs. So, 
how is this for the people? This is directly benefiting the wealthy. If you have more money than the average person, you have now more of a say in politics, in our policy, potentially what Doug Ford and the PCs do in the future, because they have the ear of the wealthy, the direct ear of the wealthy. And look, if you're meeting face to face with the donor, it's just natural. Think about it. If you're a politician, someone gives you $1,000 and now you're allowed to meet with them face to face. Aren't you going to be influenced by that, that wealthy donor? Won't that impact you? I think any rational person can recognize, of course, that would impact you. So to you have to understand that, look, Doug Ford, he was born into wealth. He inherited his business from his dad. His father was an MPP. Doug Ford has had every connection and all the money he will ever need. Yet he ran on a platform of for the people. How does that make any sense? I just want people to look at this stuff rationally. And look, I, I'll criticize Trudeau. I'll criticize anybody that has these sorts of policies. Trudeau, actually, also had this cash for access fundraising. Now, he attempted to close it, but there is still criticism right now of the Trudeau government that there are loopholes allowing their wealthy donors to still meet with them. So this is not, I mean, this issue is bipartisan. I'm not just simply attacking Doug Ford because I want to attack Doug Ford. No, Doug Ford, just like Trudeau, listens to their wealthy donors. That's what this is. And I need people to wake up. You need to understand what is happening. Doug Ford is not for the people. He is for the rich people. Coming up next, I speak with writer and podcaster Benjamin Dixon about his new venture. And I also get his thoughts on the stolen election in Georgia. This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. You're listening to the David Dole Show, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. My next guest, Benjamin Dixon, is the host of The Benjamin Dixon Show and the co-founder of the upcoming Rebuild of the North Star as an online media outlet. Ben, welcome to the show. David, thanks so much for having me, man. I, 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 can, I, can I just say I envy you? I've always wanted to do actual radio. So, <laughs> man, congrats on the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's so great to have you. Uh, so before I get to some politics here, I, I really want to talk about this new venture you're starting with uh, with Sean King, the North Star. Yeah. Now, yeah. Canadians, uh, I don't think we know our American history all that well, but okay. we may know about the North Star, which is a name that is at least partly rooted in the Underground Railroad, which, of course, Canada right. played a part in. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what the North Star uh, was and how you are aiming to sort of uh, accomplish this relaunch? Yeah, so absolutely. The North Star um, is a legendary, even though it was brief in its existence, a legendary abolitionist newspaper started by Frederick Douglass and his partner, Dr. Martin Delaney, in 1847. Um, it had a brief run because you can imagine how difficult it was to be two African-Americans, uh, Frederick Douglass, who had escaped himself from slavery, um, initiating and starting and distributing a newspaper uh, in 1847, difficult as it was even then 
compound that with the civil war that was coming later, um, you can imagine how difficult it was for it to survive. So it only lasted a few years, but the work that they did was so significant that uh, just the name, the North Star, reverberates through American history, particularly black American history. Um, and so Sean King and I, we, um, we've been talking about the need for a platform to really amplify um, the spirit of uh, the North Star, uh, but, but in a modern way, modern media way, and, um, and also to amplify the voices of, of, of people who are fighting for liberation in any format, right, whether it be the liberation uh, for African Americans here in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, from systemic injustices, police brutality, um, all of that, to LGBTQ rights. Um, anyone who's fighting on behalf of marginalized people, we want to amplify their voices. So we've been working on this very quietly for the last year. I don't think many people know how long we've been working on it. And uh, tomorrow we start our official uh, fundraising membership drive. And um, so we're just you know, excited to be at this point. That's awesome. So to give folks sort of an idea of how badly this sort of reporting is needed, what yeah. news items, say, over the past five years or so did – you think the media largely missed or maybe were late about that would have been properly covered by this relaunch of the North Star? Yeah, that's, that's a fabulous question, man. Um, so I, I think it's, it's multifaceted, right? Um, one of the problems that we know we have, particularly from the black experience, and, and when I say the black experience, I, I, I want to stress the, um, the progressive nature of the black experience. Like uh, just being black in America almost is like a radicalizing experience. You know, don't get me wrong, we have some conservatives, we have some black conservatives, but the overwhelming experience for black Americans um, is, is one of progressivism because we've had to fight for progress. And so um, being in, you know, from the perspective of the black experience, being a progressive experience, um, one of the number one problems we have in media is that our stories are limited to the, the struggle. You know, whenever you hear stories in, in, in media about the African-American community, it's, it's always about race. It's always about police uh, uh, systemic injustices, police violence against communities of color, which are serious issues that we are absolutely going to cover um, at the North Star. But we're oftentimes limited to that. So in addition to covering stories about police violence and systemic injustices and systemic racism, we also want to shine light on the, the, the just the everyday existence, the, the good things that actually happen in the black community. Uh, so I would say that's the number one area of our collective experiences that is not covered by the media is the fact that, yes, we do have a fight, we do have a struggle, but we also have uh, some amazing lives that are happening around us. So. We're going to tell both the, the, the good stories, but we're also going to focus on um, the, the good and the bad. We have the, the holistic look of, of the black experience. Um, so that's just one angle of it. There's like probably mm-hmm. 12 other things I could tell you, but uh, I know we're, we're on radio, we're on air, so I'll keep it short. No, no, it's okay. So uh, you also said your, so your next phase for the North Star is happening uh, tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Where can people uh, find that? So, yeah, so tomorrow, don't go tonight. <laughs> go tomorrow. Uh, you can go tonight. It's fine. Uh, to buildingthenorthstar.com. Um, we're starting our membership drive, and we're doing this as, you know, I, we're calling it grassroots media. And the reason we're calling it that is that because the North Star itself isn't going to take any venture capital money, even though we've had some presented to us. Um, people want to invest. But we want to be funded by the people, and this is not cliche, right, but this is literally freeing us up 
Um, the more members we have, the more we can do, and we're only going to do what we can afford based on the number of members that we have. So we're starting off, once we get 1,000 members, we're going to launch a series of podcasts because that's within the budget for 1,000 members. 2,500 members, we're only going to do X, Y, and Z. When we get to 10,000 members, we're going to launch a video platform. Um, 100,000 members, we're going to do all kinds of stuff, uh, things leading up to um, a North Star for Kids where we're going to put emphasis on how children can consume the news in palatable ways for their various age groups, as well as be informed about things that they can do, um, not only in terms of justice, but also in terms of the environment, things of that nature. So go to buildingthenorthstar.com and consider joining us in this grassroots media movement. Awesome. So uh, I guess let's get to this governor race. Now, this is in your state yeah. of, of, of uh, Georgia. Uh, Democratic yeah. candidate Stacey Abrams, I guess, sort of conceded, but not uh, not really. <laughs> not I, <don't> really. Know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this election, this election was stolen from her. So I talked a bit about this yeah. last week, but I want you to give uh, people an, an overview of what exactly happened in this in this Georgia race. So imagine um, I mean, I, I, I was going to try to find a way to describe it worse than what it is, but you can't really describe it worse. The person who is responsible for the camp, the election itself, the structure, the mechanisms, the machines, how many machines are at your precinct. Imagine that person running for governor and not stepping down from that position and systemically making sure, systematically rather, making sure that there are problems for voters in key counties whose demographics look like that of your opponent. Mm -hmm. This is literally what Brian Kemp did he, uh, in Georgia. He, I mean, the weight, like, like I, I, I'm hoping this is something that the North Star would be doing right now if we were up and running. We would look at every single precinct, and we would give a comparison of what the wait time was in the black precincts, predominantly black precincts, compared to um, white precincts. Because just anecdotally speaking to a lot of people over the last week, um, I've not met a single person in a non-urban precinct who had to wait more than 10 minutes. But in urban precincts, they had to wait three hours. And then wow. we saw so many machines that were uh, working, functioning, but just sitting in closets, not being uh, distributed to these precincts. These are the uh, decisions that are made by the Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, who was running for governor, who's now, who is now the governor-elect. And so it makes total sense for uh, uh, Stacey Abrams to not concede because uh, – or to sort of concede but not acknowledge it. I think her terminology is he's an illegitimate governor, and I think that's the only way that we can view this because if we just smile and grin through it – she said something brilliant. I have to paraphrase. She said, if you don't complain, if you don't speak about your pain, then they'll kill you and say that you enjoyed it. And that's yeah. what she's doing. She's refusing to smile and grin and bear it. She's going to let everyone know that she was robbed, and, and, but she's going to step aside from this process because she sees that there's uh, more productive things that she can do for Democrats across the state if she goes ahead and, and steps aside. So she's stepping aside, but she's still declaring that this governor is illegitimate and in every way imaginable he is. Yeah. And just to give people some, uh, I guess, idea of the numbers here, I have some stats written down. So more than 85,000 voters were purged from the rolls under yeah. Brian Kemp. And during 2017, yeah. 668,000 voters were purged. Now, of those 2017 numbers, 200,000 people left the state, which were legitimate cancellations. But of the 400,000 who supposedly moved, 
340,000 never moved and were wrongly wow. purged. So, yeah. I mean, this is the, the idea. So just to try and set the scene here for, for Canadians, we have a, an independent uh, election process, uh, Elections Canada, that, that deals with all this. So, I mean, the, the idea of the person running in the race, one of the people running in the race, the idea of that person mm -hmm. having control over yeah. the, the voting process is just, it's, it's mind-boggling, and it's truly disgusting. It's really, I mean, you, you, we talk about the banana republics, right? We talk about um, uh, Vladimir Putin getting, what, I don't know, 90% or, or whatever. You know, those are, you know, I don't have that as, as a, a, a statistic in front of me. I'm just giving that anecdotally, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about those things in foreign countries, but we're literally having that happen here in the States. And, of course, it's close enough for everyone to say, oh, it was fair and square. But literally, you have the Secretary of State purging people two years leading up to his campaign to run for governor and, and the race being so close that it was, it was almost within the margin to uh, have um, uh, a second campaign, a runoff, rather. Mm -hmm. um, that's how close it was. And if you imagine all those people that he purged in targeted communities, that's the key part. He didn't purge a general purge. These were targeted communities. When we look at the difficulties of voting on election day, it was targeted communities. And you look at that and you see how close it was. You can't help but step back and say this uh, uh, Stacey Abrams was robbed. Yep, absolutely. Now, uh, last question here. Maybe it's kind of fun, stupid, but I feel like I have to ask all my American guests, uh, guests this question. 2020, who... Uh, yeah. who who would you want to see go up against Donald Trump? Oh, man. Honestly, uh, that's, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I am still a supporter of Bernie Sanders. Um, I, I still like Bernie in, in general. There's some specific details that, you know, I, I wish I could sit down and talk to him about to make him a better candidate. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to see Hillary Clinton run again only because – I just don't want to see it. It's just too – I don't want to relive 2016. Yeah. And um, for that same reason, I'm also you know, not really in favor of Bernie running again, even though I am a fan. I just want to put 2016 behind us. Mm -hmm. 2016 broke the brains of a lot of people, and uh, they haven't recovered yet. So the, the further away we can get from the Bernie versus Hillary wars, the better America will be for it. Yep. So, Ben, where can people find your work? Um, they can go to the BenjaminDixonShow.com, but coming up soon, they can just go to BuildingTheNorthStar.com and see even more work there. Awesome. Benjamin Dixon, the host of The Benjamin Dixon Show and the co-founder of the upcoming relaunch of The North Star. You can find them at BuildingTheNorthStar.com. Ben, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks so much for having me, David. Take care. Coming up next, how new Democratic Congressperson Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is freaking out the Democratic elites in Washington. And what can Canadians learn from her? This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Now, before I get to my uh, rational take of the week, which has to do with uh, a new American politician, a new Democratic American politician, I want to uh, go over this, this new poll. So there is a, a poll out here from Campaign Research, Ford's approval rating, Doug Ford's approval rating. Now, before I give you these numbers, think in your mind, <laughs> what do you think 
his approval rating is at. And what do you think people, uh, how do you think people feel about his, his recent moves against workers? Well, let me give you the details here. So Doug Ford has a 37% approval rating, 63% disapproval. Uh, more specifically, 41% of men and 34% of women approve of his performance. Now, sure, you could say, well, I mean, we're essentially in a three-party system. You're going to have 30% of the people that, that like each of the parties. But these numbers, especially when we get down to some of the, uh, the policies here, it's, it's not looking good. It, it actually appears that there are people, even people within Doug Ford's base, that don't like some of what he's doing. So let me get to some of that here. So when we actually get down into the, uh, the policies, a majority of Ontarians, 52%, oppose freezing the minimum wage at $14 an hour until 2020, compared to the 42% who support it. Now, again, we're, we're looking at a majority of Ontarians disagree with freezing the minimum wage. But the numbers actually get worse. <laughs> so the, uh, Doug Ford, he uh, reversed a law requiring employees to be paid for three hours if their shift was canceled within 48 hours of its start. 56% of Ontarians oppose that. How about Doug Ford reinstating, uh, allowing employers to require a doctor's note for minor illnesses, like we're all children? What a great policy that is, Doug Ford. 55% oppose that because why? I really don't know. 39% support that. Really, 39% of people support having to get a doctor's note for their employer. I mean, those are the diehard supporters. But it even gets worse. So his least popular labor reform rollback is the removal of two paid sick days. 77% of people oppose that compared to 17% in favor. So this policy even cut into his own base. 17% is a lot lower than the 34 or 40% you might expect for a, a, a Doug Ford base to support a policy like this. But no, 17% favor it. So even among Doug Ford supporters, there are people waking up to the reality that Doug Ford is not actually for the people. He is for the rich people. Now, let me get to my uh, rational take of the week. So my rational take of the week goes out to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which is, uh, she's one of the newest Democratic members of the House that has become a sort of star among the new class of Democrats. Now, why? It's because she is anti-elite. She is supporting a national campaign to mount primaries against incumbent Democrats essentially meaning no corporate Democrat is safe. If you take big donor money, if you answer to corporations, Wall Street, Big Pharma, you might be primaried. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a sitting congressperson, will support that primary. Now, it's funny seeing some of the, uh, the American media freak out about this because Ocasio-Cortez herself, the only reason she has her seat is because she defeated uh, a member of the Democratic leadership, Joe Crowley, in New York. So this really shouldn't be a surprise to anybody covering American politics, but it appears to be a surprise to, to some people, thinking that she was just going to, you know, once she got in, she was going to assimilate with everybody else. But no, 
This is a fighter. An activist outside Washington is now an activist inside of Washington. So she's a member of the group called Justice Democrats, and uh, they have actually a, a whole slate of, uh, of uh, politicians that, that ran in, in the midterms, and a number of them got in. Another one is uh, Rashida Taleb. She's also on this uh, the same idea of not taking big donor money, answering to the people. Actually, she only takes, so th these, these Justice Democrats, whether it's Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Taleb, or others, they take no corporate PAC do donations, they simply run their campaigns on small individual donations, and they have, of course, massive volunteer bases, which allow them to get the word out. Because when you don't have the money, you don't have the commercials, and it's sort of hard to, uh, to get your name out there unless you have a massive support of people behind you. Now... Another move that Ocasio-Cortez made this week, this is sort of a, a double rational take of the week, is she joined a sit-in in Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi's office. This is unheard of. So the sit-in was about uh, climate change and actually dealing with climate change properly and offering a, a Green New Deal to invest into the country and create new, uh, new green jobs. So this is really unprecedented to have a sitting congressperson essentially protest the leadership of their own party publicly in their office. Now, of course, she was uh, kind of nice about it. So she did discuss how, you know, if Nancy Pelosi takes on this new green agenda that we have to get behind her. But, I mean, to me, this shows us something that we need more of in Canada. We need activists to become politicians. We need people that actually represent us, actually represent the workers to challenge the status quo. You can follow me on Twitter at David Dole, last name spelled D-O-E-L, or visit me on YouTube at therationalnational.com. Thanks for listening to The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010.